0: This is going to be a different kind of sermon, but, and so my passages of Scripture will be all over the Scriptures, but the main two sections of Scripture we're going to look at are the two passages I read at the beginning or during the confession time of the service, so Ephesians chapter 5, 1 through 14, and 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 through 11. So we're here on June 4th in the United States of America, 2023, which means we are the fourth day of what's called Pride Month. It's a month in which our culture, driven by government, businesses, entertainment, urges everyone to celebrate or Affirm or encourage self-affirmation. Affirming meaning not just stating a fact, but asserting strongly and publicly. Declare one's support and uphold something. To do that about LGBTQ+. Voices, lifestyles, rights, history. Those letters represent L, lesbian, Gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and then there's a plus added at the end because each year more terms get added to it. The White House press release added the letter I, which means intersex. Keith Lambert, a pastor in Jacksonville, Florida, mentioned in speaking, thinking about this time of the year and just our culture, he says there are at least four ironies that pop out at him. And I just want to remind you of them, four of them. One of them is that we, when I state this, that we're here at Pride Month, we could say, ha, Pride Month, that seems ironic. It's not just a month that we celebrate this or see it celebrated in our culture because we see what seems like a near constant celebration of what biblical Christians would say sexual perversion every day in schools, businesses, hospitals, media, whatever, whatever it is. It's not just a month. Another irony is the idea of waving the banner of pride over something so transparently sinful and rebellious to God's word. Pride, yes, they, they use it as a term of in contrast to shame, but pride is, is, is at the, the root of all sin, of exalting ourselves above God and exalting in something that we have set as an, a standard or authority on something that God is so clear about and I want to show this morning. Another irony is the fact that, you, I don't know if you've heard this kind of language, but you probably have. Uh, I think I first heard it from President Obama many years ago that says that those that embrace Pride Month and celebrate LGBT, TQ plus world are on the right side of history. How can we say that when the God of history determines every day and will someday judge? Lastly, an ironic reality is the attempt to use as their movement the flag, the colors, a rainbow. A picture of both God's grace and love in providing an ark for Noah through the judgment of the floodwaters that has destroyed all humanity because of their absolute defiance and rebellion to God. And yet God's grace in saying, I will never again destroy the world with a flood. And as a sign of that promise, you'll see the rainbow. Okay. Okay. A few weeks ago when Grace was home we we spent one evening watching a movie on Netflix starring Tom Hanks it's called A Man Called Otto O T T O a grumpy widower who's forced to retire and want to end his life he's territorial in his Homeowners Association, he grudgingly helps his new foreign neighbors who keep asking him, bothering him, asking him for more assistance, and he kind of grows on them and they to him. And you start to feel for this guy, but it really turns to sympathy when he runs into his, a neighborhood boy who needs his help because his dad threw him out of the house because he had bruises, and he had bruises from bullying. It turns out that the boy was actually a girl, a girl who has transitioned to be a boy and is treated with contempt by those around him. And the way the movie was written, the way it made you feel as you watch this, a sample of so much that it's out there, made you start to actually like that crotchety Tom Hanks character, Otto, when he says to that girl who claiming to be a boy. Well, your dad is stupid, and he welcomes him to stay, her to stay in his home with him. A kind, a gracious thing, no doubt. It's about this time when two of my kids walked out of the room and said, I'm done with this movie. <laughs> we kept watching. What's going on in this movie? The movie made us all feel that her condition was the same as everyone else's maybe skin condition, something she didn't choose or have a choice over, or perhaps an unasked for physical or psychological condition. And the only kind or loving alternative to cruel bullying is praise and affirmation of a certain decision, lifestyle, or an embrace of an identity. Taking in someone like this would would probably be a Christian and loving thing to do, no doubt. Hollywood's indoctrinization appeals to our pity in movies like this that hands you no alternative than to affirm her decision to be a he and to be something that she's not. To insist that she can switch her sex to be a man. Christianity, and you feel it in this movie because you're sitting here and you go, cruelty is always wrong, yes. And showing love to those who are being hurt is something we should always do. Bullying is always wrong. And we should always show grace and kindness even to those that we think are wrong or disagree with. My, that, that's just one sample of what we experience and will experience day after day in a a Pride Month world of America. My sermon is entitled, Jesus and Pride Month, Living Faithfully in a Sin-Affirming World. I, I, I believe wholeheartedly that the world and the devil are attacking us. God's truth as it pertains to marriage and to sexuality and to gender and to identity and to sin and to the authority of God's word to historic Christian doctrine that's based on this book, the plan and the nature of humanity, of being made in the image of God, all of this impacts our view of God, His authority, His plan, and it has a destructive nature to, our pe- to people and society. And I have just I said this two years ago when I preached on this subject. I have three people, three kinds of categories of people in mind. I do believe that most in this room are probably conservative Bible-believing Christians that do not be, need to be convinced that this Pride Month affirming is is wrong. We don't need to be convinced. One way or another, you are solid and probably in agreement on here. I pray, though, that I would help arm you to think rightly about God and the gospel and our responsibility, both with a, a, a contending for the truth and with the truth, just loving and living the gospel to broken, in a broken world as a broken person. Then I know that there could be some here that are conflicted Christians, that are are Bible-believing Christians, but they're conflicted because of the messages and influence of the world. And there are some young people that are getting indoctrinated all the time, like we all are, but in an even more intense way. So for, so for you, I pray that this message be helpful. And there are, I, I think there are always going to be in a, a room like this people even here that are Because of the messages out there, and because of the broken world that we're in, and because of so many other factors hitting us in different directions, you might be going, I think I'm same-sex attracted. Am I gay? Am I a different gender? Do I have this this gender dysphoria? There could also be some in this room that they might fit in a different category for them. They embrace Pride Month, or, but they're, they're seeking the truth, and I, I pray God, this would be helpful. I, I just read to you at the beginning of this ser- service those two passages, Ephesians 5, 1 through 14, and then what you have at the back of your bulletin, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. I'm gonna read those three verses, and I wanna, I wanna jump into this. Paul says this. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither sexually immoral or idolaters or adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed You were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I want to bring to you, though a little different than two years ago when I preached on this subject, in some ways I have three main points that I want to just say the same thing I said as two years ago, because as Paul said to the Philippians in Ephesians 3, to to speak the same things to you is no trouble to me and is is safe for you. And so I, I want to say to you this morning three things that one, God's word matters. I know you know that, but I just need you need to be reminded of that. And and God's son rescues. And God's call, when He rescues us, He calls us into something. God's call, if you're saved, you're the called. You're part of the called. Commissions. It calls us to a mission. And those are the three things that I want to bring to you this morning. Looking at several passages of Scripture, I want to begin by saying that God's Word matters. Faith, church. We surely say that with our words. We try to express it with our actions. I pray that we'll really mean it. God's word. I could say it different ways. God's word settles it. God's word is our rule. I, God's word matters, and and you get that tone in these verses that I read during our confession when He says, "Don't be deceived." Why? Because you could be deceived, but I want to tell you the truth. The truth matters because the things, he says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming to you. That's, that matters. Truth about judgment, eternal judgment is a really big deal. Or do not be deceived. Don't you know that those who are unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of heaven and all who do not inherit the kingdom of heaven, Jesus made it very clear, they will enter into eternal judgment in which there will be gnashing and weeping of teeth. And so as we move into this, I just want to remind us, faith church, let us never, never forget this, young people, my kids, teens, all ages, God's word matters. It is always relevant to us. It has, never got, it has not got outdated it relates to us today. It it hasn't gone out of fashion, even though the world would say it. It's from our maker. How could it not be more relevant and significant? He he designed us and made us so everything he has to say is, is really good. We should listen up to what he has to say. And God's word rules. It does rule. God's word isn't just a matter of suggestions that you might say, oh, I'll consider that. It isn't merely good advice. It is ruling words. God's words are laws and we will be held to those and given, we will give an account. God's word upholds us by the word of his power. His word always rules, not our identity, Not our feelings or our desires, but his truth. If there's anyone who has the right to meddle with our impulses, our sexuality, our desires, our opinions, it's God. And we submit ourselves to him. The last thing I just want to, say, I, I want to, say, I want to just emphasize to you when, it, when you think about God's word matters is that for us to say God's word rules, we will never be the kind of Christians that we need to be if we go, yeah, God gives us some hard truths, but I don't like it, but I'm gonna accept it. I want to say this, God's word is right. And that means it's true, it's good, and it's beautiful. Sometimes it won't look good and beautiful because we are bent and twisted and so fashioned by the streams and the atmosphere that's around us that we don't see it as good and true and beautiful, but God's word is absolutely true. It's absolutely the way that God is, that is, is always right. God's word is perfect, the psalmist says in eighteen. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all who take refuge. Proverbs 30, verse 5. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge. Peter writes to the church and says, All flesh is like grass and the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower fails, but the word of God remains forever. God's word remains forever. Now, I just... I brought these points to you. I have some different things to say about them. I want to remind you of them. And so a lot of you weren't even here two years ago. What does God's word have to say about sexuality? I would say even gender and LGBTQ. Let me, let me give you five statements. Number one, it should be up on the screen here. God created man in his own image, and he made them. God made man in his own image, male and female. Genesis 1 27 and 28 says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And around 2017 18, there was a statement called the Nashville Statement. I recommend you looking it up. National Nashville Statement on Sexuality. It is solid. It is good. I embrace it. I sign it. it says this Scripture teaches us that there is but one God who alone is creator and Lord of all. To him alone, every person owes glad hearted thanksgiving, heartfelt praise, and total allegiance. This is the path not only of glorifying God, but of actually knowing ourselves. To forget our Creator is to forget who we are, for He made us for Himself, and we cannot know ourselves truly without truly knowing Him who made us. We do not make ourselves. We are not our own. Our true identity as male and female persons is given to us by God. It is not only foolish, but hopeless to try to make ourselves what God did not create us to be. We believe that God's design for his creation and his way of salvation serve to bring him the greatest glory to him and to us, the greatest good. That's foundation number one. That's what we believe God's word says. Number two, God brought male and female together in marriage to enjoy a committed, one-flesh sexual relationship. It says in Genesis chapter 2, the rib that the Lord God took from the man, he took from the woman and he brought it to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and he shall hold fast to his wife and the two shall become One flesh. Just recently, I mentioned this last week, Tim Keller, one of uh, a famous American pastor, so helpful in so many ways, including understanding our culture and apologetics, says these three things about marriage and sex that I think are so important and so ignored. And I just, I want you to hear them. God made marriage. First, marriage is designed to reflect how God's Saving grace unites two very different beings, Christ and his people, who otherwise would remain separate. Marriage is a picture of Christ and his people coming together. Marriage was made so that God, to also unite different male, female. They're different. You, male and male can't marry. It's not marriage women and woman cannot marry female and female do not marry it's it, it our world calls it same sex marriage it's same sex mirage it's not marriage men and women each have a distinct non-interchangeable glories god gave them both glories in order to come together distinctly into one we need each other And marriage is a premier place, though not the only place where these glories are blended and where we are profoundly enriched. It is the first but not the only instance of God's showing us love of diversity, a picture of Christ and the church coming together, male and female. Secondly, sex, specifically, between male and female is the only kind that God has blessed with an astonishing capacity to generate new human persons. While not every couple can have children, not only is heterosexual sex alone capable of creating life, but heterosexual marriage, the only true marriage, provides children with the close Lifelong exposure to both male and female humanity that they need, mothers and fathers. This is God's design. And finally, this is important. The purpose of sex is to enable whole life covenant bonding. God made sex in a committed marriage to be a commitment deepener a way to say to someone else, I completely belong to you. Therefore, it is only to be for inside marriage where it is designed to operate as a way to constantly renew, remake, re-energize our covenant love and joy so that it doesn't grow cold or old. This is God's good, true Beautiful design. Number three, any sexual expression outside of marriage and defined by God, not this world, not by the American laws, any sexual expression outside of marriage is rebellion to God and is called sin. The Bible says thou shalt not commit adultery. Fornication is a term used in scripture. Sexual intimacy outside of marriage of any kind. The passage, 1 Corinthians 6, says that neither the sexually immoral means all sexuality, sex outside of the committed marriage between a husband and a wife will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's sin. Expressions that's expressions that say, I must do it my ways, do things right in my own eyes are happening all the time. I could take you to passage of, pa- passage of scripture in the Old and the New Testament. Let me just say this, First Thessalonians 3 or 4. This is God's will, your sanctification, your holiness, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you control your body in holiness and honor. God-revealed will for all people is an old term, chastity. That's purity, abstaining from any sexual activity outside of marriage and absolute faithfulness in marriage. And any affections, desires, or commitments never justify sexual intercourse before or outside marriage, nor do they justify any form of sexual immorality. I know these are big and heavy and lot, truth. Number four, man in pride has rebelled against God. This is, I mean, I'm just kind of walking through the gospel here. Man in pride has rebelled against God, having forsaken his will and design and is under his judgment. Romans 1 says it this way, although humanity knew God, they did not honor God as God or give him thanks. I mean, that's ultimate pride and defiance and rebellion. And they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened and claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of immortal gods for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged truth about God for a lie. And they went and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And it says that they went on to homosexuality. Sin distorts sexual desires by directing them away from the marriage covenant and towards sexual immorality a distortion that includes both heterosexual sins of all kinds and homosexual immorality. It is sinful. It is sinful for us to approve of homosexual immorality, of homosexual practices. And I would say of transgenderism that says that my identity is something other than what God made me. And that such approval constitutes an essential departure of Christian faithfulness and witness. It is saying, I know better than God. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And what we see in my fifth point here, just under this God's Word Matters, these are truths about it, LGBTQ, and this pride-affirming, embracing way are examples of this rebellion. It's not the only rebellion, they're examples. I've read this here over a few times now. He says, don't be deceived. And he lists sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Here's some heavy truths here. Sexual sin, and he mentions it here, he mentions all sexual immorality, all adultery. It would include all sex outside of marriage, lust in the heart, pornography, sexual abuse, incest, homosexuality. All sexuality is serious. All sexual sin is serious. But but this passage also says that sexual sin is not unique also because he lists a bunch of other things. He says, those who are greedy and idolatrous and drunkards and revilers and swindlers, all that is contrary to what God made us to be. I, time keeps me from mentioning passage after passage that makes it very clear that God forbids the practice, we should say, of homosexuality. Leviticus eighteen twenty-two, Leviticus 20, verse 13, both make that really clear. Paul does in Romans chapter one and in 1 Timothy chapter one. I... I have a few copies of a book that I, I recommend and would love for, if you want to come up to me afterwards, I'd love to give a few of these out if you promise to read it. Sam Alberry is, is a pastor in Nashville, Tennessee. He is a single man, probably about my age. I, ha, I don't know him personally, but I have friends who do know him personally, are very good friends with Sam. Sam's been a pastor for many years. He grew up thinking he was gay because he had same-sex attraction. He still does, and he would say, he would say, "I, I have these feelings towards other men. God's word is absolutely clear that those feelings are sinful and wrong if I act upon them, give myself to them, and think that that's who I am. I am not gay, I'm a Christian. That's my identity. I struggle with same-sex attraction, and he has remained unmarried to this day and embraces chastity, and he seeks to help people understand these things. This book is called, Is God Anti-Gay? And Other Questions About Jesus, the Bible, and Same-Sex, Sexuality. It's a short and really, really helpful book. I just recommend to you, I I hope I get several of you that would come up and say, hey, I'd like to read it. Um... I'd like to have it. Um, I don't think that anything that I say to you in what I believe the Bible affirms as truth about sexuality, about humanity, about gender, I don't think any of you sat here and go, that surprised me. I didn't think pastor was gonna take that side of the equation, that side of the position. I don't think any of you probably did that. But I want to transition to the second point is this, that is just so important for us to never get over and remember, is that God's Son rescues. God's Word matters, but God's Son rescues. We must so wholeheartedly stand on the truth that God's Word matters and all of these things that I mentioned about what God's Word says about pride and about truth and about sexuality and about gender and about marriage... Yet God's son rescues, 1 Corinthians 1, 6, or 6, 11, and such were some of you. You were practicers of homosexuality and of sexual immorality and adultery and of greed. And such were some of you, but what happened? You have been washed You have been sanctified. You've been justified. You've been declared righteousness by God. You have been made holy by God. You have been washed of all your sins by God because you see Jesus, God's son, rescues. And this is the sixth truth that I would say. I gave five in that last point. This is number six that continues it on. And it's this, the good news of Jesus Christ is the only hope to overcome our prideful rebellion, to forgive our sins to change our hearts, to restore us to living according to our true identity. Christ has come into the world to save sinners and that through Christ's death and resurrection, forgiveness of sins, justification, declared clean and righteous before God, sanctification, being set apart for God now, that's our identity. Being washed, we have been cleansed by our Savior, not by our acts of righteousness, but because of Jesus' perfect acts of righteousness to all who put their trust in Christ alone. The Lord's arm is never too small or short to being graced sinners. And we must be a kind of people that as we live in a pride-affirming world, we just, while we remember that God's word matters, and that's part of our loving message, we also extend and extend the very truth that allows us to even talk in the first place is that Christ, God's son, rescues us. The condition that you and I are born in is much worse than we ever thought. Whether you have same-sex attracted feelings or or find yourself in the middle school years or later feeling what the world calls a dysphoria to say, am I right in the right gender? We're all worse off than we could ever imagine as we're born into this. And in this world, we're going to have trouble. Christianity is not for good people. It rescues bad people and changes them. It rescues messed up people, people that are bent and broken because of the fall of sin in Genesis chapter 3. And the grace of God is better than we could ever imagine. It it extends and meets every condition and embraces and brings and restores and loves. The Lord Jesus Christ came on this earth and he died for me. He died for you that you would have an identity that isn't male or female first and foremost and not according to your sexuality or desires towards sexuality that you feel from within, but based on what Jesus has done for you, he made himself, you're, you're in Christ. And the way we come to him is not by reforming ourselves first and foremost, by, by believing this truth that is too good to be true is true, and returning from our sins and trusting in Him, believing in Him, having faith. The true Christian never recovers reco- from his conversion to this new identity. Paul says it is a trustworthy saying and is worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. And so Christians, if we're going to embrace and live and walk in a sin-affirming, pride-affirming world, we need to know our son, the Son of God rescues and he's rescued me and I have, to, I have to live in that world with that mindset, which is full of different mindsets, not self-righteousness, but embracing God's righteousness and seeking to extend it to others. God showed his love towards us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So we, we don't live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit because of what he's done for us. And we should say, when we see others broken and different and embracing LGBTQ plus mindsets and lifestyles, we say, Who sees anything different in you? What have we received that we didn't receive as a gift? And oh, we long for them to know the rescuing grace of God. We sing of these truths like what riches of kindness he's lavished on us. His blood was a payment. His life was the cost. We stood neath a debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are many. His mercies are more. And so at this point I just say to you, faith, church, member, visitor, young person, old, having been at church for decades or just starting, I hope you come or have come to Jesus for rescue. Dear brother or sister, do you remember that Jesus has rescued you from your sin? And if so, that should humble you and gladden your heart to care for others to instead of looking at people with disdain look at them with loving pity not condescension but care and if you're conflicted because of your sin and your sinful desires of a, a dysphoria or same-sex attraction i want to tell you you perfectly qualify for god's saving grace This room is full of evil desired people who have been saved and are still being changed by the forgiving grace of God. God's son rescues. And then lastly, it calls us and it commissions us. So I just, this third point, just to kind of keep some parallelism, God's call commissions. He converts our identities. We're now in Christ. We're children of God. Children of God start to look like their father. We've been called to be like this. Ephesians 4 says we've been called to walk a certain way, to live a certain way, to have a commission, a calling. Brian and Heather Mack head- and Phoebe are headed because of the great commission to go To the mission field, we've been called to the mission of our life. This commission is in our homes, in our schools, in our churches, in our workplaces, wherever we go. And so, just, I'm going to remind you, these broad categories, we are to walk in love. Ephesians 5 says, we are to be imitators of God as children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. Guys, love speaks the truth. Love isn't just being nice. We have love. Love is often not just being nice. It's being kind. But we live in a world of niceness that ignores a lot of things. Love isn't just embracing of a niceness or empathy. Love defends and fights for the weak and vulnerable. I would say that one of the reasons that we as Christians should deeply care for what's going on in which there is this absolute... I would say, disgusting perversion of sexualizing our children in this society and getting them to doubt their gender when they're already in a weak, vulnerable stage of adolescence, especially girls, and then sending them through a ridiculous kangaroo court of medical opinions, and sending them, giving them ideas that they are gonna be a lot better off if they get hormone therapy or surgery. It's disgusting, it's wicked, and though if we love them, we should lovingly speak out. Love engages in relationships. It would mean that if you have a neighbor or a coworker, someone that's in your life that is LGBT. T, Q, Your posture is, I want what's best for him or her. I pray for him. He is, she, he or she is not my enemy, but my, but a, a person that God has sent me to love. Love engages relationships, it shows compassion. Love embraces and enters the space of people in your life, and it will do it at great cost many in our LGBTQ community will stay in their community because they think they're stuck in that decision. If they get out, they will be ostracized. They have come into the the warm comfort of sin or pride-affirming realities, and if they try to get out of it, they will hit the buzzsaw of intolerance of the liberal agenda that will just push them away, and so they're stuck. And oh, we need to be that loving and gracious alternative of God's mercy and grace. The call of Jesus may mean in our lives, because of our actions and our care, the loss of certain relationships. If we live faithfully, loving and speaking up, and loving and embracing from both sides, we will be considered either too judgmental or too tolerant if, if a trans I, I read this this week or a couple weeks ago, if a trans person or let's just say anyone else who considers themselves LGBTQ plus if they if anyone like that came in and was seeking God in our church, I'm not sure. How we could say we're pleasing God if we didn't welcome them. But if, and if a trans person like anyone else is affirmed in their sin by our church or any church, I'm not sure how we could say we're pleasing God. And so we should welcome them, not affirming sin, but loving them. And we should walk in holiness. We should walk in holiness. It says, in Ephesians 5, but sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness, that shouldn't be named among you. We not are foolish and coarse talking. Our, our jokes should not be of the kind that makes light of sexual sin. Of sexual perversion and as though it's a punchline of a joke. Be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous will have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. We need to be, this is probably one of the action points here for all of us would be to go, God, forgive me for my sexual sin, my sin of lust, my sin of, of not being holy I can look down my nose easily at those that are embracing what I consider is disgusting and repulsive. Where God would look and say, look in the mirror at the way of your heterosexual indulgences and sins and lusts and literal actions and I died for you for that and I have forgiven you. We need to, as we embrace our commission of love, get on our knees, thank God for his forgiveness, his cleansing, and repent of our own sin. And we need to walk, thirdly, in truth. We, we are in probably a crossroads in our culture for truth. I'm thankful that Even non-Christians have come to realize how ridiculous some of these things are. But we as Christians, we, the church, is the pillar and buttress of the truth. We are to take no part in unfruitful darknesses, but instead expose them. Isaiah, the prophet, said to them in that time, Woe to you who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness, we cannot embrace this pride affirmation while we can at the same time embrace people that embrace it. And we need to be really grateful. I think one of the the tones and the attitude that our world that embraces darkness, needs to see in a group of people like us who have been rescued by the sun that believe wholeheartedly everything we, the Bible teaches about sexuality, even the hard parts, all of it, they need to see a genuine life that has joy and gratitude and delight in a good God who rescues them. They need to see people who are not sour, and dour but loving and joyful and grateful for all of God's good gifts don't let foolishness or filthiness or jute, crude joking take place that's out of place but instead let there be thanksgiving paul says so i said this last couple years ago i want to just finish with this may we if we are if you are more disgusted by homosexuality or transgender people than your own sin, you probably have mistaken, you probably have a mistaken understanding of God's holiness. And if you're more fearful to hurt feelings than you are of the horrific fate of prideful defiance to God's word manifest in Pride Month, then you have a mistaken understanding of God's wrath upon sin. And if it's harder for you to imagine loving people who embrace LGBTQ plus than other lost people, you probably have a mistaken understanding of God's love. And if you desire more to be accepted by the culture around you as broad-minded and gracious, than loyal to God's law, you probably have a mistaken understanding of God's character and authority. If you have a harder time imagining sexual sinners of the LGBTQ variety being saved than anyone else, you probably have a mistaken understanding of God, His grace, His mercy, and the promises in the gospel. And if you don't think that this world, including the promoters of Pride Month, needs desperately for us to hold firmly and to speak lovingly of Christ and the truth of his word, we do not understand the message of the gospel or our call to be salt and light in this world. May God help us live under this conviction joyfully, lovingly, thankfully. God's word matters and his son rescues and it commissions us to living. Let's pray. Oh God, I do pray that you would you'd please help us. There is just so much more to say and be said and to think through and to work out. We could fall on, off the rails on one side or the other so easily and so we ask for the wisdom and grace to do so. I do pray that you would be with young or old, who would say, I pray that they would not respond, I could never ask for help after a message like this. I pray that they would say, I can ask for help for a, in a message like this. I pray that you would help us to be a home and a family, a hospital for sinners, because we all are. I pray that you would Make the gospel of Jesus Christ so precious and personal and practical to each one of us, to those who are saved and to us that are extending it to those that are not saved. Oh God, please, I pray that in the coming years that the the truth would prevail through the loving people of God standing for the truth with grace and love. And I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.